0: If you don't like that, hope you are doing well. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about the hypocrisy and the ridiculous double standards at espn my guest is coming up in just a moment we've got our crowd ultra q a and as always grant's rant let me first of all tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by new works plumbing of sacramento for your plumbing needs and repairs remember they're available to you around the clock 24 7 and again, I like to point out the messages that I have received via email and on social media about New Works Plumbing, and I want to say thank you. I really appreciate the feedback. I send it over to Newworks. They appreciate it as well. Again, folks, remember, for all of your plumbing needs, all of your repairs, 24-7 service, go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. My guest here on the podcast today is from OutKick, and he had a very interesting column. The headline said, ESPN says it does not have a comment on allowing only non-black analysts into its first week 15-person rotation on first take after promoting, in quotation marks, diversity. Bobby Burak writes for OutKick, and he's nice enough to join us here on the podcast. Bobby, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. What the hell is going on at ESPN?
1: Yeah, Grant, so um, what's fascinating about this story here, and I wrote about it last week, I got a comment from ESPN over the weekend. So for those that don't know, and based on ESPN ratings, there might be a lot of people, this show, First Take, which is Stephen A. Smith's show, and he had just kicked Max Kellerman off his show as he reported, for a year now, actually over a year, they've been talking about white privilege, how there's too many white guys in sports is kind of on we'll get to that in a moment how there's too many white guys on tv there's too many white guys everywhere in the meantime espn's chairman jane Botaro, he's sending emails to his staff on air saying espn's all about diversity and inclusion that's our number one priority before anything else we're all about diversity so now on their number one show they introduce a rotation of 15 people to sit next to stephen a smith there's only one that's not black so if you do the count that's that 15 black people, including Stephen A., to one white person. and that considered diversity? To me, Grant, and unless I misunderstand the definition, it's the opposite of diversity and inclusion. When ESPN says we're all about diversity and inclusion, what they really mean is we're about exclusion, meaning we're only going to include black people in this lineup or essentially just black people. I think it's not only hypocritical, I think it's the definition of judging employees and on-air talent by their skin color. I think it's disgusting. And I think for ESPN not to address this and to quote-unquote just let it go, I think it's shameful and it lets the viewers know everything about ESPN, what diversity really means inside those buildings.
0: Yeah, but this is just the norm now for ESPN. I've read your work on OutKick uh, just a couple of weeks ago. You wrote a story about Mark Jones and his ridiculous, hypocritical, unbelievable tweets that ESPN doesn't do anything towards. And there are other personalities that seem to have a free platform to say and do whatever they want.
1: Well, well here's what's going on. And I hope we get to Mark Jones. I think this is the dumbest and most despicable guy I've ever seen on any TV channel. So, ESPN's executives know whether they were told or – I think Disney actually, quote unquote, really just directly said, hey, you know, we got to change things up and follow George Floyd's death. What they meant by that is ESPN's mostly white executives now feel that they have to prove that they're not racist in order to keep their jobs. By proving you're not racist, it gives you some sort of shield the people at the New York Times, Washington Post, Richard Dykes, those guys. So what that means is treating people differently by the colors of their skin. So by this, is ESPN feels the need to aggressively promote black talent and not resign white talent because that proves in their minds they're not racist. It means not addressing Mark Jones, Jalen Rose's comments on, on air and on Twitter that are racist because if ESPN, the white executives say something and someone's going to write a piece saying they're trying to silence black voices. So ESPN just decides to do nothing about that. So this is all about Pitaro, Morby Williamson, all of those guys at ESPN behind the scenes trying to tell the New York Times, Washington Post, look at us, we're not racist. How do we know this? ESPN sent out, this hilarious, a uh, headshot altogether all their new college football analysts. Grant, they included fifteen faces of their new hires. Fourteen were black, one were white. It was Alex Smith, who's obviously a very well known quarterback. So they went out of their way to build this picture to show, hey, look at we hired fourteen black voices for this channel opposed to just one. That's not by accident. That's them using that as a shield. It's cowardice and really pathetic.
0: Bobby, you write what a lot of people are afraid to say. And in this country right now with the, uh, I mean, let's face it. We have a lot of issues going on in this country right now, not just with race, but with other things. You have a lot of followers. You have a lot of people that love OutKick. But the the negative people, the, the critics, what's their biggest complaint about what you do?
1: Well, um, I think what I see the most is I really get two reactions, uh, really internally from like people in the industry, uh, people that uh, you know are afraid to comment publicly. Or um, is that a lot of people thank me because they say we agree with you, we want to say that, but if we even like or retweet your tweet, we could get fired. Mm-hmm. So that just shows me that my viewpoint, which I don't believe to be anything but moderate i mean to go back to what we're talking about i'm only saying all i'm saying in all these pieces is that espn shouldn't correct past problems by saying well we're just going to reverse it and now you know cut down on white people and over promote a different color that's not a right wing or left wing viewpoint that's just common sense and like i said in this column and i laid it out perfectly espn you could argue, you had a past issue with not promoting enough black people, and they fixed that years ago. It's no longer a problem. So those that still claim that it's a problem and demand change, they're either ignorant or they're just not paying attention, and they just don't want to acknowledge that there has been change in this country for the better. So I think that's the most common feedback I get internally or privately. It's just, you know, hey, what you're saying is right, and a lot of times people say, what you said about Maria Taylor and what you said about Stephen A. Smith, that's what everybody inside ESPN knows. The public might not know about it, but what you said, everybody knows what Maria Taylor did to Rachel Nichols. They know who leaked that story. They know Stephen A. trying to kick Max Kellerman off first. Date. They know what type of support he has from Dave Roberts. So that's what I get most privately. Now, publicly, you have a lot of people coming after me, like Stan Verrat, who's obsessively DM and tweeting me for the past year, I've also got that Jay Adonde guy, Mike Jones, Kate Nolan. A lot of these people tweet at me. But, you know, it doesn't much matter to me because here's my thing. None of them are willing to actually argue the facts. All they want to do is label and name calls. They do call racist, bigot, far-right, extremist, fascist. When you jump to those conclusions, that means you're not willing to have a conversation. Those are terms that you decide – after you've had the conversation. If you come into a conversation with those terms coming out of your lips, that means you have no ammunition. You have nothing to add to those conversations. So I spent very little time thinking about what they say. Most I've really responded in the past six, seven months was taking a screenshot of all of Stanford's tweets and DMs towards me because that's how they're quite funny, quite frankly. I mean, this guy was tweeting me at maybe a 42-to-1 ratio. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was hilarious. People got a lot of joke people thought it was funny when I put that out there but what those people say about me doesn't bother me because quite frankly those aren't people I'd want to hang out with anyway so I I don't see what impact their negativity towards me has people could say well maybe that you from getting a job to me any potential employer that takes the advice of Bomani Jones Katie Nolan and Mark Jones I wouldn't want to work there anyway
0: Hmm. You mentioned Mark Jones and some of the other personalities, and how a lot of their comments have really turned off many people that I've talked to. The bottom line though is ratings. Where's ESPN at with the numbers?
1: Bad. Um, they're down significantly. Now, I want to be clear. That there's a lot of factors into this. Ratings are complicated. You have cord cutting, just people streaming more often, social media, different habits. But ESPN shot themselves in the foot by basically telling. Um, I would say over half the country, you're not wanted. If you look at the topics, the viewpoints they have, the people they attack, that they label bigots and racists, that's not representative of what most of the country wants. They're just not going to watch, listen, or even read what ESPN has to say right now unless they are in those niche groups. I really think ESPN is becoming, even though it's such a massive brand, their studio program and day to day is becoming more niche because it's no longer for the average sports fan. Grant, PTI used to average a million viewers a day. That was a show that I thought was made for sports fans. PTI is down to about 400,000 now. PTI, First Take, these other shows, Sports Center, Highly Questionable, which is about to get canceled, Max Kellerman's new show. These shows are not for general sports fans, they're for sports fans that view owners as racist people that view the NFL as non-progressive people that believe Colin Kaepernick should have a job over almost every NFL quarterback that's not sports it's a niche small group that quite frankly I don't even know how much they even watch sports on Sundays
0: very interesting I will also say I've done a lot of rants on this and I've spoken about these issues on my podcast as well And I can't mention names because uh, for for obvious reasons, but I have spoken to many of my fellow colleagues. Some are very well-known network announcers. We're talking about the top of the line, the top of their craft at the various networks. And I've talked to a lot of announcers, both in the NBA uh, and the NHL, and they tell me that they are absolutely paranoid about going on the air and saying the wrong thing. In other words, what we do is all spontaneous when you broadcast. You're doing a live event. Everything is spontaneous. I mean, we can look at what Jack Morris did a couple of weeks ago, you know, in the Tigers booth. You know, Shohei Otani came out and said I wasn't offended by it. And look what happened to Jack Morris. And, again, I'm not saying nothing should have happened to him, but I think it was, once again, an overboard reaction. But you mentioned earlier in this uh, interview that – you know, people can't retweet or like. I can't tell you how many people have told me the exact same thing. When I lost my job, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people reach out to me, both on the phone and via text message, and they said, hey, we love you, and what happened to you was so wrong, but we can't say anything. Isn't it amazing how many people in this country are now afraid to just speak up for what they believe in?
1: Of course. And what does that show you that shows you and tells you that there is a misrepresentation of the country because if so many people are afraid to acknowledge one side of the story, that means that story is pretty much absent in the bigger picture. If everybody's sharing, liking, or reading the other side, you have an over-index of that side, which I think what we see a lot in politics is that is that people are afraid to share a right-wing, conservative point of view, so you have... You have uh, Social media, Facebook, Twitter, all these outlets telling you the country's all for the far left and AOC fans and they think Joe Biden's doing a great job. So it's really it, it's disingenuous and really is painting an inaccurate picture. And I think the most important thing is, and, and I, want, I want to really say this boldly, if you read my stuff, anyone that reads it, if they come away from the conclusion that I'm asking for anything more than just treating people of all race similarly – if that's not what they come away from, they're not actually reading it. They're jumping to conclusions. Because as I lay out in all my pieces, as I say continuously, there was a time where I believe, and I think it's just factual in the 90s, early 2000s, where black talent did not get as many opportunities. But that is no longer a problem. So if you're hanging on to that, what are you actually asking for? ESPN has now elevated enough white and black people where they should get back to a place where they just start judging people by how good they are, not by the color of their skin. And all indications I'm getting is they're not even close to getting to that point that this push of making everything racialized has just begun and not ending anytime soon. Hmm. And to me, that should tell people all throughout ESPN, if your skin color is not what they want right now and you're not already grandfathered in like a Scott Van or Kirk Street what type of future do you have at ESPN? Because if they're going to hold your skin color against you, there's nothing you can do to offset that.
0: That's unbelievable. You know, in terms of OutKick and what Clay Travis has done and the growth with this company, it's, it's, it's more and more people are going, hey, this is the information that I want. Because you're not afraid to speak the truth. You're not afraid to write the truth. And I thought it was very interesting. I didn't know a lot about Clay until about a year ago. And I thought he was very open. He said, hey, you know, people just call me on the far right, far right. And then he talked about all of the, you know, f- uh, previous Democratic presidents that he voted for. You know, it's like we stereotype in this country so damn much. I think he's just, you know what he is? He's about common sense. What I love about you, you're about common sense. I, it seems to me that common sense has left this country.
1: Well, I think what's going on about, and I don't pay much attention to, you know, most of them identify as a conservative liberal to me. Those are really just words that don't mean much to me at this point. But I think what's going on is social media in the press, like the mainstream press, CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, New York Times, Washington Post, they have gone so far left that I think it's just that line has shifted so much that if you're not far left, they say, well, your right wing. And I think that that line has just shifted so much toward the left that anyone that has common sense just doesn't identify with the far left. Now, I'm not saying they identify with the far right because I don't think a lot of them do. I mean, I talk to a lot of people that tell me, hey, you know, we voted for Trump, but they're not all in on what Trump stood for or what other people in the party stand for. But they just – they didn't like this push of over-control, what they're seeing with the vaccine mandate. So I think that those terms don't mean what they did – what they used to. Like I, I'm watching um, impeachment right now on FX. It just debuted last week. I don't think what Clinton Democrats believed in is what Democrats today represent. And I think that's where you get a lot of these labels that I think don't really mean a lot. I mean, like, I've never asked Clay if he's a conservative or a liberal. But if you have never met him and you just follow the reaction – they would try telling you, like they would me, that we're like Alex Jones and Milo Stephanopoulos. Sure. Um, and that, quite frankly, just isn't true. And I'll just speak for me more than Clay. He can speak for himself. He can offend himself. You know, the way we're labeled, to me, is more telling about how far the mainstream media has gone than where I am. Because I'm, I really have the same beliefs, for the most part, that I had 10 years ago. But I think the general representation of the country, that has shifted so much leftward.
0: Bobby, final thing for you. I want to read a tweet last summer, probably last June, from Kevin Euclid, the former MLB player, because I think of everything that I've read. I talk about this from time to time on my podcast. I'll read the tweet to you. It says The mental health and well being of our country is deteriorating, and social media is the culprit. The constant hatred towards others that don't share the same opinions is tiresome and unhealthy for our society. We all need to be better. So the next generation is healthier and happier. And I thought he hit that right on the head.
1: Yeah. Um, social media is to blame for so much, but I think at the same time, it's to blame for as much as individual. I was talking to a pretty you know, well-known TV personality a couple of weeks ago, and they were just saying how fed up they are about what they see online, how it's just harder to shut off at night. I was saying, why are you letting it get to you? Because part of my job is I do spend a lot of time on Twitter, but Grant, when I log off, it doesn't bother me at all. Like I'll go a Jack and Coke, watch a series on Netflix, watch a football game. I don't even think about what's said on Twitter. So I think while Twitter has been so bad for so many's mental health, it's still baffling to me that we have, that so many people have let it impact them. Um, because so much of what is said on there, like we just talked about, does not represent the country. And, most of it is hateful. Twitter does not reward common sense. It rewards radical viewpoints. So for anyone trying to fit in, they're admitting it. they're trying to fit in with a radical viewpoint. Look at who has the most Twitter followers by and large. It's not common sense guys you want to go have a beer with. It's people that you imagine hang out with Ivy League professors and complain all day and you know, smoke a lot of pot. So to me, I don't think we should let social media bother us as much as we do. I mean, there's a lot of stuff said about me on Twitter. People tweet at me. I really, It really just has very little impact on my mental well-being. I wish more people will look at it that way because I think they quickly realize it doesn't really matter. Nobody you hang out with in real life, go to the bar with, go to barbecue with. They're really not paying attention to what's said in your mention and what's said by these blue check marks that are really just over-indexed on Twitter based on their actual real-world influence.
0: I really appreciate Bobby coming on. I don't like to get political. Anyone that's listened to me over the years knows that. And uh, we got a little political there. But I got to tell you, I could not ignore the story that he wrote on OutKick about ESPN, because to me, ESPN is such a hypocritical organization, and it's just it's, it's shameful. It's absolutely ridiculous. That's why I wanted to get Bobby on, because I found his story today, or maybe yesterday, to, uh, to be rather, rather interesting. Uh, Gene says, with the Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinement on Saturday, in your opinion, which former player should be in the Hall of Fame but isn't? Also, which former player who is in the Hall of Fame was not a Hall of Fame player? Personally, I think there are a lot of players in the Hall of Fame that aren't Hall of Fame players. I think this is a very interesting question, Gene, but I think it's impossible for me to answer because I'm not really sure what the criteria is to be into the Basketball Hall of Fame. I would say that you could make examples uh, in both directions there. A very, very good question. Steven wants to know, are there any NFL matchups you're looking forward to this season? Steven, are you kidding me? The whole season? Are there matchups I'm looking forward to? Of course I'm looking forward to it. Every week. Come on now. Luke wants to know how I got the job with the Kings. Well, I I would take a lot longer than I have here to explain it all. I started announcing play-by-play basketball. In other words, I started doing play-by-play of basketball when I was in grade school and continued to do it on my own until I got to college and was fortunate enough to get onto the campus station and then an internship at a commercial station where I started doing play-by-play of Division I sports. And, you know, I just moved up the ladder. And when I got to Sacramento in 1987 as the sports director of Channel 31, uh, six months after I got there, we got a new general manager. They were very uh, aggressive in getting the Kings contract. And in the late spring of 1988, uh, Channel 31 was awarded the Kings deal for three years. And I was in the right place at the right time, got the opportunity, and did it for the next 30 years. Appreciate the uh, question. Neil wants to know, have I noticed any issues with the number changes in the NFL yet? You know, it's like watching college, Neil, because the numbers in college are like that. You know, in the first game of the season, Neil, a a few times I didn't recognize the players. Like when Sterling Shepard caught a Giants touchdown, I didn't even know it was Sterling Shepard because he used to be number 87 and I think now he's wearing number three, I believe. So, yeah, there are some issues. And, you know, on defense, you would always know if it was a defensive back as opposed to a linebacker, as opposed to, you know, anyone else on the field uh, because of the number that they were. I'm not crazy about this. I'm really not. I like to be able to identify players by position based on the number that they're wearing. But uh, I guess it is what it is. Dylan wants to know if I saw the Fordham linebacker break the record With 31 tackles against Nebraska. I missed that, Dylan. So thank you for the information. Lucas asked, do I have any friends or family affected by fires in Northern California? I don't have any family, but I do have friends uh, that have been affected and have been not only this year, uh, but in years past. And it's just, it's so freaking sad that the fires get worse and worse and worse seemingly uh, every year. So prayers to everyone uh, in California in these uh, horrible fires. Jake asks... Agree or disagree with this Rodman quote about how and why he doesn't watch the NBA. Quote, it's very hard to watch because once you've played the game the way we played, intensity, just competitiveness, I don't want to watch players come down and shoot 50-footers. That's not basketball. I understand you want to score long range, but it's difficult to watch. I actually agree with him. I don't agree with the intensity and competitiveness. I think the uh, intensity and competitiveness is still at a very high level, but I agree with him. I think the game has gone way overboard with the three-point shot. I think the game needs to get closer to the basket, not farther away. And so I I do agree with Dennis Robin. I think the game has become more difficult to watch. It doesn't seem there's nearly as much strategy uh, in basketball. Obviously, the low post game, for the most part, back-to-the-basket game, has disappeared. So, yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. Uh, By Dennis Robin. Jacob asked, is DeAndre Jordan the missing piece for the Lakers? You know, DeAndre Jordan really has not been as good the last few years as he was with the Clippers. But the one thing we do know is, you know, with the L.A. Lakers, you know, he's going to have to do one thing, rebound and block shots, and he can do that. When you say, is he the missing piece? Uh, They did win the championship two years ago, right? And then last year they had injuries. So I'm not really sure I would call him the missing piece. I do believe that he will help them. Alan asked, did I expect more out of Trevor Lawrence's debut? No. nope. I didn't expect a lot of rookie quarterbacks. And I think that was pretty uniform. I thought Mac Jones had the best game of all rookie quarterbacks. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, there's a lot of issues going on right now in Jacksonville, if you believe what you read, with Urban Meyer. That he's just gone crazy and that he's completely out of his element down in Jacksonville. I don't know how much of that is true because obviously I'm not within the walls of the Jaguars organization. But no, I think Trevor Lawrence is gonna be a heck of a quarterback. So I can't say I expected more. I think he's on a very bad team, and I think it's gonna take time for that franchise to build around him. But from what if you if you believe what you read as it relates to the Jacksonville Jaguars, then, yeah, it's going to be crazy down there this year. Ryan wants to know, do I like how Shanahan used Trey Lance against the Lions? I do not. I'm not a fan of two quarterbacks playing in the game. I, I don't like that. I don't like gimmicky stuff. I really don't. I do, I'm, I've i never been a fan of that. And, I, and by the way, Jimmy Garoppolo was outstanding yesterday. You know, obviously, Trey Lance comes in and throws that touchdown. I know what I know what the thinking is. Now the defense has to, you know, change gears because you've got a running quarterback. You've got a guy that, you know, wants to move with the football. And defensively, it puts a lot more pressure on you. You know, I, I get that. But to me, if your quarterback is having a really good game and Jimmy Garoppolo was having a really good game, then why do you put in another quarterback? i am just never, ever been a fan of that. Kevin wants to know if I watched Rick Adaman's Hall of Fame speech. You know, I did not, Kevin, but I'll try to go back and watch it. I'm a huge fan of Rick. Really have a lot of respect and admiration for him and getting to know him and being around him uh, for eight years. Uh, I'm a big fan of Rick Adaman. Jake asked, what's my take on Trevor Bauer being out for the rest of the season? I think it was unavoidable, Jake. I mean, this is a really dicey situation. I know you can say innocent until proven guilty, I have talked quite a bit about this on this Q&A about Trevor Bauer and some of my rants. And, you know, the one thing is pretty obvious. The guy's a sexual deviant. But that doesn't mean you should not have a chance to go to work. And I've read the text messages and everything else. And, you know, again, I'm not there. I don't know anything about it. But based on the things that I've read, it seemed to me that this was consensual. All right? But I'm just telling you based on what I've read and all the messages. But the, it, it also appears that the Dodgers organization does not want him on the team because it's embarrassing and it's, it's against what a lot of people, you know, believe in and want to tolerate, and his teammates don't seem to want him there. So that's a real big issue for the L.A. Dodgers going forward because, first of all, he isn't, if, he, if he's not guilty of criminal activity, and again, I'm saying if, I don't know that yet, if he isn't found guilty of criminal activity, then he needs to work. He needs to be allowed to work. And he's got two years left on the L.A. Dodgers. So what are they going to do? Chase wants to know, how do you think Brady looked in game one? How's A-plus, Chase? That a good enough grade? Mike asked, do you agree with what Shaq and Chuck recently said about Ben Simmons not being good? They didn't say Ben Simmons was not good. They didn't say that. They didn't like how he is going about his business, and Shaq was talking about his work ethic and how – You know, he needs to improve and things of that nature. They didn't say he was not beat. They they didn't say he's not good, all right? I mean, I think you took that out of context, Mike. I really do. Brendan asked, Cam Newton says he has a lot to get off his chest about the Pats. What was he talking about on Friday? That's a good question. I think Cam Newton's full of himself. That's what I think. And it was very interesting that Peter King, in his Good Morning Monday football column, said that he thought that Cam Newton's comments was going to make it very difficult for him to get a job based on what he said about being a backup. Because right now it appears that that's the only place that's available for him. Now, the things could change with injuries, such as in Washington, now that Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. But the point I'm trying to make is, I thought Peter was right on. General managers don't want a distraction on the team. And Cam pretty much thought that him being a backup would be a distraction. Chris asked, do the Phoenix Suns need another good wing defender to win a title. Yeah, they do, Chris, but I think a lot of teams kind of fit that mold of needing another good wing defender. The other aspect with Phoenix, yeah, they were good last year. They proved it during the 72 games, but they also got a couple of really good breaks in the playoffs. So, yes, that wouldn't be a bad idea to get another good wing Uh, defender. Duncan wants to know if I've looked in the clinton Portis's fraud charge. I have, and I honestly don't care about it. Aaron asks, uh, did I do any snorkeling out when I was in the Keys? I did not. I do enjoy snorkeling, but I didn't do it on this trip. Phil asks, do I think the Texans will find a better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor, or do you think they're waiting on Watson? I don't think they're waiting on Watson. I think that Watson will never play another game in Houston. Uh, Taylor looked really good on Sunday, right? He looked really good. He had a very good game. Very good game. Now, he's playing against Jacksonville, but he had a very, very good game. Andrew asked, Kyle Kuzma thinks he'll be traded to the Kings. How do you think he'd fit? I like Kyle Kuzma. I think he's a good player. I think he would, you know, I don't know you would have to give up to get him, but I like his game. I do. I think his game uh, is very good. My thanks to CrowdUltra for your Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com, and maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. It's time for Grant. I am a fan of the New York Giants, and they are absolutely pitiful. On Sunday, they got manhandled and embarrassed by the Denver Broncos. But the one thing I did like about the team that I root for is they look like a team out on the field. Everyone dressed the same. There were no social messages on their helmets. They don't even put Giants on the white padding on the back of their helmets. I believe they were the only team in the NFL that I watched on Sunday that I could say that about. They don't have any social message on their helmets, and they don't even have the name Giants on their helmets. Of course, they play anything but Giants, but you get my point. The six messages players can choose from as part of the Helmet Decal program are end racism, stop hate, It takes all of us, Black Lives Matter, inspire change, and say their stories. I'm not going to change my opinion on this. I've been saying this for years and years and years and years. I don't turn on sports for my social justice messages, my political messages. That's not why I watch the game. So I just want to say, as a fan of the New York football giants, thank you. Thank you for all looking the same with your uniforms and not having social justice messages on your helmets. As a football fan of that team, I am grateful. Now, I know there are a lot of people listening that think that I'm too old-fashioned and I'm being hard-headed, I'm being nearsighted, but that's my opinion. That's how I feel. I'm not going to change my opinion. Again, I've been very constant on this for many, many, many years. I don't want social and political messages when I am watching sports. That's not why i watch sports i get it all day long i get bombarded with it on twitter and commercials news programs and that's fine that's the place for it okay that's the place for it i have no problem with protest i'm all protest i mean my dad jeez if you could have seen my dad my dad was involved in war protest all the freaking time All the time. My dad's a businessman. We'd be out there in a suit in a protest. I I, I have no problem with protest. You want to protest over something? Go ahead. You want to speak out over something? Hey, go ahead. This is America. Speak out on it. But you know what? Keep it out of my freaking stadiums. I don't want it in my stadiums and my arenas. That's not why I watch sports. Same way if I go to a theater on Broadway, I don't want my actors and actresses wearing social media messages and political messages. That's not why I'm going. I'm going to be entertained. All right? Entertain me. Don't give me all this other stuff. I don't want it. So to the owner of the New York Giants, John Merritt, I don't even know whose decision it was, or the horrible general manager, Dave Gettleman, or anyone else in that organization, I say thank you. Thank you for looking like a professional football team out there where everyone looks the same. Too bad everybody sucks, but at least you look good on the field. And that's my rant for today. Hey, that is my podcast for today. Hey, don't forget that each and every day, 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific, I will be on Listen app. You can join me live and ask questions. You can download the app or you can go to listenapp.co. Again, that is every weekday, 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific. As always, so awesome to have you here. My thanks to Bobby Burak. Have yourself a great day. Thank you for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Step into the world of power, loyalty.